Thank you, Greg. Well, it is a pleasure to be here with you today. I want to thank Ias and Dason uh, and everyone who put this conference on, all the volunteers. I know this was a lot of work. A lot of effort has gone out from a lot of people. Uh, Thank you. Thank you for your labors. There are many congregations that are represented here, and uh, your labors have not been in vain. And Pastor Tony, Pastor Rick, Uh, Thank you, brothers. Uh, Personally, I was extremely blessed uh, by the word that was spoken this morning from the both of you, and I I know these men were as well. Uh, Well, before we get started, let me uh, just start us in a word of prayer. Well, Father, we thank you uh, for this time where we can gather together as as shepherds of the flock uh, to consider what uh, our role entails, how you would have us to carry this out, how we may be faithful uh, to shepherd the flock of God that is among us in such a way that honors Christ, honors your word, and is looking forward to that great day when our chief shepherd does return. Father, I pray that as we consider now this last role, this guarding of the flock, uh, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would open your word, that you would speak through your word uh, to the hearts of your shepherds, uh, that we may be better stewards of that which you have assigned to us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as I said, it is a great privilege to speak to you men, especially to you who are pastors in particular, on the subject of pastoral ministry. Obviously, this is my life's passion, and so to be able to speak on this topic is a great privilege. And I continue to just be in awe of what God is doing among the Micronesian people Uh, in particular, and and I'm praying uh, diligently that the gospel would continue to advance among your people. But in order for that to happen, those who have been placed in the role of shepherds, pastors, overseers, must at all times guard the flock. Our churches will not last a single generation if the pastors who oversee them do not carry out this vital responsibility. The stakes are extremely high for us as pastors. And when I was asked to speak on this topic, I was was eager to do so. As a person who spent many years tangled up in false teaching myself before the Lord brought me out and opened my eyes to the, the truth of the gospel, the beauty of the gospel, this topic in particular has a near and dear place to my heart, because I have seen firsthand over and over and over what false teaching can do to the believers in in God's church. The sheep are always at danger for this, and because of that, we have to be vigilant to guard the flock. And this is not just a simple side issue in Scripture, nor is it a side issue in pastoral ministry. As we will see today, guarding the flock is a primary part of what it means to be a pastor. If you are a pastor, then you must take up this responsibility. This is not an option for you. So if you do, if you have your Bible, turn with me to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. As you are turning there, I want to give you a little backdrop as to what's going on in this passage. In Acts chapter 20, the Apostle Paul is now at the end of his third missionary journey, and he's heading back to Jerusalem where he knows he's going to face imprisonment and affliction for the cause of Christ, for the gospel that he has preached. And on the way back to Jerusalem, he stopped in a little port city called Miletus, which was about 35 miles south of Ephesus, roughly the same distance between here and St. Joe. And stopping in Miletus, he sent word back to Ephesus, where he had labored before, to the church of Ephesus for the Ephesian elders, the elders of that church, to come down to him so that he could give them a final charge, knowing that he was never to see them again. And Paul knew these men well. He had planted the Ephesian church. He had labored among them for almost three years. And there was an intimate fellowship that existed between Paul and these Ephesian elders. You can see that quite clearly when it finally came time for them to say goodbye in verse 36. These men wept 
and embraced Paul and kissed their brother goodbye as they bid him farewell for the very last time. And they were grieved at his departure. So in every conceivable way, this is Paul's final farewell to a a group of men that he loved. But more than that, it is his final charge to them as overseers, elders, shepherds of the flock. And for that reason, every one of us who has been given this role of pastor would do well to make sure that we we are very familiar with Paul's words here in this chapter. Now, for clarity... Brother Tony already clarified this, but I, I want to make sure that we're, already, we're all on the same page because it's important for everyone to understand that the office of overseer, the office of pastor-shepherd, and the office of elder are all the same thing. Now, the Bible uses those terms interchangeably, and that's clear here in Acts chapter 20. That was clear in 1 Peter 5. Uh, that was cl- that's clear in several other passages of Scripture. And for that reason, I'm going to be using these terms interchangeably throughout this message. And further, to build on that, as I'm sure most of us hold to and believe, it's important that we understand that there's actually only two offices in the church, biblically speaking, that of a deacon and that of an elder. And that's why there's only qualifications given for those two offices in Titus chapter 1 and 1 Timothy 3. The deacons minister to the physical needs of the body, and the elders, the shepherds, are the spiritual oversight of the flock, of the church. There is no other offices in the church, biblically speaking, only those two, only deacon and elder. And it is the elders and the elders alone who have been tasked with the spiritual oversight and leadership of the flock. They are the pastors. And it's for that reason that when Paul is, is facing imprisonment, he sees to it that he uses some of his remaining time to address these men and their care for the church. Because, yes, Paul certainly loved these men, but, but more than his love for these, these men, he loved the church. And even more than that, he loved the head of the church. He loved the Christ of the church. And so he wants to see to it that the church remains faithful to her Lord. But in order for that to happen, the shepherds must lead in that direction. So now, understanding that context, we're now going to read not the entire speech, but we're going to read what Paul said starting in verse 25 of Acts chapter 20. And our focus today is going to be mainly on verse 28. But let's read verses 25 through 32 says this, And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God which He obtained with His own blood." I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Now, our focus today is going to be on that main exhortation from verse 28, where he says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. That is his main point. That is what he wants to get across. That is what he is wanting to leave these men with as he departs from them for the very last time, that they are to pay a careful attention to themselves and to all the flock. Another way to translate that is the way the New American Standard put it, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock. A shepherd, a pastor, is at all times on guard. 
And as we look at this great passage, I want us to seek to answer two questions. Why and how? Why should we as elders be on guard at all time? And how should we be on guard at all times? How is that carried out? What does it look like? And I hope that all of us get a sense of the the urgency and the gravity of this task that is before us. I believe there's no more significant calling on earth than that of a pastor. To be those who have been given the blessing to lead God's people, to teach God's Word is a remarkable privilege. But with that also comes a remarkable responsibility. And we need to see that to understand the urgency of the task. So let's start with answering the question, why? Why are we to pay careful attention to the flock, to guard ourselves and the flock? Well, Paul gives us three reasons right here in the text. First and foremost is because of who the flock belongs to. Look look again at what he says in verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all of the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. See, Paul wants these Ephesian elders to be reminded of the weight of their stewardship, of what it is exactly that they are overseeing. This is not a social club. This is not just a family gathering. This is not some kind of entertainment venue for religious people. No, this is the church of God. This is the ecclesia. This is the the gathering, the community of believers that belongs exclusively to the God of the universe. And for that reason, we are not to think of, of our, our congregations in the possessive sense. They are not our congregations insofar as they belong to us as shepherds. No, we ourselves are actually a part of the congregations. They are our congregations in a belonging sense, but not in a possessive sense. We belong to it. It does not belong to us. These are God's congregations which means that we as shepherds are stewarding that which directly belongs to God. And this is what Paul means when he says to care for the church of God. That's a, a possessive there. This is God's church. But then, lest anybody miss what he's saying, in order to eliminate all doubt, he then adds this clause, which he obtained with his own blood. The truth is, There has been no higher price paid for anything ever in the history of the world than when the God-man, Jesus Christ, spilled His own blood in order to purchase a people for Himself. The church belongs to God not merely because God created it, which He did, not merely because He gave life to all of its members, which He did, and not even merely because He chose each member before the foundation of the world, which He did. The church chiefly belongs to God because He purchased it. And He purchased each individual, each individual member, with the price of His Son's blood, by the shedding of His own blood. Remember, the church is called the bride of Christ. Ephesians tells us that Christ laid down His life, sacrificed Himself for His bride. That means it belongs to God in a unique sense, like nothing else. This kind of belonging cannot be said about anything else. Now, yes, God is the creator of all things. God is the creator of heaven and earth. All of heaven and earth belong to God. All things rightly belong to Him. As the psalmist says, He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. But Christ did not lay down His life for the cattle on a thousand hills. He laid it down for His bride, for His people for the church universal. And every local church in which there is a gathering of true believers in the Lord Jesus Christ 
is an expression of the church universal, and they are the people for whom Christ died. That means it does not matter if your church is made up of five people or 5,000 people. They are the people for whom Christ died, and they are to be stewarded as such. There is literally nothing, nothing more precious in this world to God than the church, than His people. Think about that, because that's what you're stewarding. That's what you're caring for. You are caring for the eternal bride of Christ. Imagine if you would for a second, if you place the care of your own bride in the hands of others, how seriously would you want them to take that, that task, to take that charge, to take the instructions that you give them to carry that task out? How serious would you want them to meditate on the instructions that you've given them and to apply it? It's your bride. This is the bride of Christ. That's us, brothers. We have been entrusted with her care. So we care for them. We, we guard them. We keep watch over them for His sake. It's His church, not, not ours. That's the first reason. Now, the second reason that we should notice here for why we must guard the flock is because it is the job assigned to us by the Holy Spirit of God. Look again at verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God. You see, this is not, this is not Paul's idea that he has just come up with. He is not creatively thinking of ways that he can protect his life's work here. The role and function of an elder or pastor was not invented by Paul or anyone else. Rather, it was, it was designed by and assigned by and appointed by God through His Spirit. Now, the word that Paul uses there for, for overseer has the idea of one who has the responsibility of safeguarding or to function as a guardian. And it is God Himself, through His Spirit, who sovereignly raises up leaders and overseers in His church. Now, that does not mean that there are not some leaders in the church who were not appointed for the task by the Holy Spirit. Indeed, there are, there are many. And there are many false shepherds running around in the churches of our day. And this is why we must be careful to make sure that we ourselves and every leader in the church meets the scriptural qualifications given to us by the Holy Spirit of what a pastor must be, listed out in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. If we do not meet those qualifications, then we can rest assured that we are functioning in leadership not according to God's will, but in violation of it which is just an absolute terrifying place to be. But those who are true shepherds, who are faithful, who meet the qualifications, who have been gifted to teach, who are affirmed and followed by the church, who have been given a God-given desire for the task, who desire the work for the glory of God, those men have been placed in their position by the sovereign power of the Holy Spirit. If that is you, you need to know that your post, your position, your, your job description has been given to you by God. We, we don't get to make this thing up. God has told us what we are to do. You've been placed there by His sovereign assignment, and a major part of your God-given job description is that you function as a guardian of the flock. This is not an optional part of what it means to be a shepherd. It is a directive, a, a direct order from on high. It's vital. So we are to guard the flock, not only because this is God's church, but be, because these are God's instructions, God's orders for us as shepherds. Now let's look at the last reason. 
The third reason Paul gives us for why we must guard the flock as shepherds is because of the imminent and ever-present danger that she faces. Look at verse 29. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And if from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. This right here is why this aspect of ministry is not an option. Paul does not say that this is some kind of outside possibility, that there is a, a mild chance that one day you might have an encounter with a wolf. No, he says, I know, I know that fierce, savage wolves will come in among you, and they will not spare the flock. And not only that, not only will they come from the outside, but they will rise up from within your own midst, from your own people. And their one goal is to devour. It is to devour the sheep. And Paul uses the metaphor of wolves on purpose, which he learned from the Lord Jesus Christ. But the metaphor is meant to show the seriousness of the threat. Wolves are brutal predators. They are savage. They are fierce. When they take a victim, they rip them into a bloody mess. As Paul says, they do not spare the flock. Without question, this is a, this is a matter of life and death that he is speaking of. And how do they do that? How do they attack? By what they speak, by what they say, by what comes out of their mouths. Men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples. The fact is, to be in Christian ministry is to be engaged in war at all times, a war for the truth. And we are attacked, and the sheep are attacked, not physically, but by lies, by a twisting of the truth, by distortions of the truth, by that which contradicts the truth, by that which undermines the truth, or by that which minimizes the truth. And what's sobering about this, for those who live in the 21st century, as Pastor Rick already alluded to, is that if that was true in Paul's day, How much more is it true in our day? They did not have near the access to what we have access to. Media has opened up all kinds of worlds of ungodliness and falsehoods. They didn't even have a printing press at the time. So the biggest threat for them was that of a physical false teacher in their presence. Well, now not only do we have to worry about that, but we have to concern ourselves with what kind of media people are consuming. Who are they listening to? What books are they reading? What ideologies are they embracing? What influences is coming into their lives? We do not have to encounter a false teacher in the person, though we will, but we can carry them around in our pockets, and we do. While you cannot police that every, everything that people are doing in their church, nor should you, that's not your role, you have to equip your people in order to guard against the constant onslaught and presence of false teachers and false teaching that is everywhere in our day and time. But remember, it's not just out there somewhere. It's not just on the Internet. False teachers arise from within our own midst as well. Jesus also warned us about this. There's a reason why Jesus phrased it in the way that he did in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. He said, beware of false prophets who come to you. How do they come dressed? In sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravenous wolves. He didn't say they actually come disguised as shepherds though that would be included because pastors are sheep, to be sure. But Jesus says they come disguised as sheep. The reality is false teachers, wolves, are not just in pulpits. They're in the pews as well. 
And they do not come to you in such a way that they are obvious. They look like the sheep. They smell like the sheep. They walk with the sheep. But they are not sheep. And their fruits will betray them. As Christ said, you will know them not by what they look like and not by what they say about themselves, but by their fruits. Not too long ago in our church, we had a young man and his wife come in to our church, very excited about the church, very excited about what was going on. He's very excited about the preaching. He seemed to be very excited about God's Word, and he was an incredibly likable person. He always had a smile on his face, meeting lots of people. Everyone really enjoyed this young man. However, he eventually stopped coming, and he segmented off some of the members of our church who he had gained their trust, and he began to teach them against the triune nature of God. It was a real stumbling block for some because he was so genuine, and he was so passionate, and he was so likable. Surely he could not be a wolf. But his fruits betrayed him. He forsook the assembly of the saints. He began to speak twisted things, and he was attempting to draw away the disciples after himself. He was a wolf with a big smile on his face. And had anybody embraced what he taught, he would have devoured them. He would have destroyed their faith. You see, the threat is always there, both from the outside and from the inside. So to summarize why we must guard the flock, it is because God has a precious possession in this world that belongs to Him in a unique way because He purchased it with the shed blood of His own Son. And the protection of that possession has been entrusted to certain men who have been appointed by the Holy Spirit as pastors and guardians of the flock. And this possession, his flock of sheep that he loves, is always facing the threat of enemies, wolves that want to destroy them. That is why we are to guard the flock. Not to take up the role of guarding the church is to be an unfaithful shepherd, and it is to turn the sheep over to the wolves. But that leads to the question of how are we to do this? We know why, but how are we to carry this out? There's two main tasks that Paul has included here in his main exhortation. One is to pay careful attention to yourselves, to be on guard for yourselves. And two is to pay careful attention to the flock, to be on guard for the flock. Both of these, not just the second one, are absolutely necessary if we're going to carry out this role of guarding the flock. First and foremost, before anything else, we must pay careful attention to ourselves. Now, that might seem counterintuitive to Christian ears. Are we not supposed to be those who consider others as higher than ourselves? Shouldn't we primarily be focused on others and not ourselves? Didn't God in Ezekiel 34 rebuke the shepherds because they fed themselves and not the sheep? Well, how do we make sense of this? Well, the difference there is those shepherds were putting their needs and desires above the flock to the neglect of the flock. They neglected the flock to serve themselves. That's not what Paul is talking about. He's talking about guarding yourself for the sake of the flock which is very different. Now, as a shepherd, if you neglect yourself, not only will you not have anything to offer others, but you will run the risk of yourself doing harm to the sheep rather than good. The truth is, do you know who the most dangerous person in the church is Do you know who is the greatest liability and potential threat? You are. As a shepherd, you are. A shepherd can do more destruction to a church than anyone else because the sheep trust him, because the sheep follow him, because he has more influence than anyone else in the congregation. 
If his life runs amok, he will drag others with him. If he embraces false doctrine, so too will many in the church. It is a dangerous thing to be a shepherd. So for that reason, to guard yourself is to guard the flock. A shepherd who does not guard himself cannot guard the sheep. A shepherd who does not care for himself cannot care for the sheep. Well, how do we, in what way? How are we to care for ourselves? Spiritually, morally, and doctrinally. Those are the ways that we must guard ourselves first and foremost. Spiritually, you must be a godly person. You must be a person who, who walks with God. You must be a man who pursues Christ and can speak from a position of one who knows Him. You must be someone who treasures God's Word, not just for the sake of your ministry, but for the sake of your own love for God. You must be someone who communes with and and depends upon God in prayer on a regular basis. We cannot in any way expect to do our people spiritual good if we are spiritually anemic. If knowing God through Christ is not our highest priority in desire in life, then to be blunt, we should not be in the ministry. Hang it up. Now, I'm not saying that you will not go through seasons of struggle in your relationship with the Lord. We all do. Just just read the book of Psalms. That was very often even David's experience. But at the end of the day, is the overarching trajectory of your life in pursuit of God. Can it be said of you like David that that is a man after God's own heart, even when you are in the valley? Can you say with Paul, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord? You must be a man who is spiritually alive. You must be a man who is in pursuit of the living God. We have to be growing spiritually, spending time in word and prayer, caring for our own soul so that we can care for the souls of others. You want to lead the sheep towards God, then you must be running in that direction. But not only that, you must guard yourself morally, ethically. An elder in the ch- as an elder in the church, you are, you are not someone who just merely teaches and makes governing decisions. As the Scripture says, as we looked at in 1 Peter 5, it goes beyond that. Your life is to be an example to all the flock. We are to model what it means to live in pursuit of Christ-like character. In fact, in 1 Timothy 3, Paul, writing to young Timothy, who was the pastor at the Ephesian church at the time, He said this, 1 Timothy 3.12, Set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Essentially, we are to practice what we preach. This is why those who assume the role of shepherd or pastor must meet the character qualifications. Gifting and knowledge is, is not enough. In fact, when you look at the qualifications, there is only one, one qualification that has to do with gifting. Now, that's important, but all of the rest of them have to do with character. That means we have to be men who take holiness seriously, who take sin seriously. As the great Puritan John Owen once said, be killing sin or it'll be killing you. Are are you watching? Are you keeping watch over your own soul? Are you careful with the kinds of things that you allow into your own life? I will tell you this. There are few things more devastating to a church than when a pastor is found to be in sin. It will wreak havoc on the body. Some will defend the sin and downplay the seriousness of it. Some will be tempted to walk in unforgiveness and bitterness. Some will lose hope in the transforming power of the gospel and conclude that we're no different than the world. Divisions will arise and factions will form, guaranteed. I know of no church who has been through that that did not come out unscathed. 
Your personal holiness not only has implications for your life as a pastor, but it has implications for many lives. And it has implications for the gospel that you preach. Guard yourself morally. And third, you must guard yourself doctrinally. As a preacher and teacher in God's church, you must not only know what it is that you believe, but why you believe it. You've got to be someone who is intimately familiar with the doctrines of the Christian faith. We have got to know and love and cherish this book. We've got to live in this book. As Paul says in Titus chapter 1, an elder must be able to teach sound doctrine and also refute those who contradict it. It's, it's one thing to be able to affirm sound doctrine. All Christians should be able to affirm sound doctrine. But it's an entirely different thing to be able to teach sound doctrine. And then, on top of that, to be able to refute those who contradict it. Every shepherd must be a lifelong learner and lover of God's Word. He must be. So we have to watch ourselves. We have to guard ourselves. If we do not, then we ourselves become a danger to the flock. To care for ourselves spiritually, morally, and doctrinally is to care for the church. And if we do that, then we are postured and positioned in such a way that we can carry out this great command and responsibility to guard the flock, to pay careful attention to the flock, which, of course, is Paul's main concern here, the well-being of God's church. So how do we go about that? Well, knowing that he's speaking of both threats from the outside and threats from within, I want to finish our time by giving you six ways that a shepherd must guard the flock. First and foremost, number one, we are to week in and week out preach the full counsel of God. As you just heard, that task is your primary task. Brother Rick made that absolutely clear. But we are to be resolved that we are a people who have nothing else to offer except God's Word. There's nothing of lasting value that we can give the sheep of God apart from God's Word. And in fact, Paul had modeled this for these elders in his ministry. Look, look back at verse 26. He says, Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Paul was innocent of the blood of all because he did not restrain from them the truth. He declared to them the whole counsel of God, week after week. And Paul's ministry was primarily defined by declaring the whole counsel of God. You, you will do your people more good and equip them against error most efficiently by preaching from the same book with clarity and consistency week after week after week. A, a people who have been equipped and fed like that will not be near as susceptible to those who twist the Word of God. They will be able to recognize that which is crooked because they have been shown that which is straight. Second way we guard the flock is to know your people. Know your people. As the old saying goes, a true shepherd will always smell like the sheep. We must give ourselves to study and prayer, absolutely, but we must also be involved in the lives of our people. We must be accessible to them. We must be there for them when they face hardships or need counsel. We must weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. We have to have a beat on what is on the minds and hearts of everyone in the congregation. If we do not, we cannot possibly expect to be able to address the, the very issues that could be a danger to the flock if we are not involved in their lives. And look closely at what Paul said, verse 28 again. Pay careful attention to yourselves 
and to all the flock. The shepherds were, were not to just be there for some sheep, the sheep that we get along with or the sheep that we really like or at least the sheep that don't get under our skin. No, we are to pay careful attention to all the flock. Every single one of them is a soul for whom Christ died. But the obvious question that you should be asking your mind is how can one man do that? Is that even possible? The answer is no, he can't. If you try, you will burn out. Which leads me to number three. The third way that we guard the flock is that we share the load. Share the load. In most congregations, it is an absolute impossible task for one man. And the larger the congregation, the more true that is. But you will notice that Paul is not here talking to one man. He is talking to a group of men, a plurality. In fact, if you look back up at verse 17 at the start of all this, it says he sent for the elders, plural. The church at Ephesus was shepherded by multiple elders, multiple overseers, who together undertook this task of shepherding and guarding the flock. And this is consistent all through the New Testament. Everywhere that elders and overseers are mentioned, it's always in the plural. Now, does that mean that you, if you are a lone elder that you are somehow in sin? No, not at all. God gives grace. And there have been many faithful churches down through the ages who had a singular pastor who shepherded them faithfully. But the ideal, ideal is to have more than one. More than one qualified and gifted man to shoulder this load together. There needs to be a plurality for accountability, for leadership, for spreading that load together. Number four, the fourth way we must guard the flock is that we must be willing to lead our church through the process of church discipline. False teaching is not the only threat to a congregation. So too is sin. And when willful and unrepented sin is allowed to carry on in a church, it will spread like gangrene. People will begin to think that sin is not that big of a deal, and their standards of what qualifies as sin will lower. In fact, Paul actually had to rebuke an entire congregation, the Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 5, because they tolerated a man in their midst who was living in unrepentant sexual sin. As he said in that text, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. We are to keep ourselves from evil, but we are also to keep the flock from evil. And we do that by the clear step-by-step -step directives that Jesus gave to us in Matthew 18. And it all begins with simply going to your brother in private to show them their fault, having a conversation. But a church that does not or will not practice church discipline is not guarding the flock. And they are not loving the ones who are actually caught in sin. It is loving not only to the flock, but actually to the one in sin to carry out the process of church discipline. And those churches who do not do that are putting the entire church in danger because they will not carry out this first and great command of Christ to the church. Significant command. Number five, the fifth way we must guard the flock is that we must be willing to identify and to call out both false teaching and false teachers. This is the ever-present threat that the church will always face. And as Paul said, these wolves come from both the outside and the inside. And one of the best examples that you can see on how to deal with a particular false teaching is the entire book of Galatians. Now, Paul spent an entire book addressing an, an error that attacked the very core of the gospel, and he explained that error very clearly to this church. And he explained its implications. And he used it as an opportunity to, to reassert the truth of the gospel. He didn't dance around it, nor did he worry about who he would offend. He was straightforward with what was going on and what truth was being violated. And he equipped that congregation to see this error and to stand against it. He drew a line in the sand. After they received that book, they either had to see it Paul's way 
or they had to follow the false teachers. And the fact is, Christianity stands or falls with the truth. The church stands or falls with the truth. Everything about our religion is based on what we believe to be true, what we know to be true about God and His gospel. And so when truth is at stake, Christianity is at stake, and the church is at stake. It is a truth war that we are in. Now, not every issue carries the same weight. You're debating with someone on one's position on the, the mode of baptism is not the same thing as talking about what is required for salvation or the deity of Christ or the very nature of God. So we need to choose our level of engagement wisely, but we must be willing to name false teachings and even false teachers. If a heretic like Joel Osteen or Benny Hinn or anyone of that ilk has any kind of influence in your church, we need not to be hesitant to call them out by name and demonstrate from the Scripture why what they believe is false. You would be surprised how many people can't make that connection. They might say something like, oh yeah, I reject the prosperity gospel, but I love Joel Osteen. He's fantastic. You've got, now I'm not saying all the sheep are, are that lacking in discernment, but some are, and you've got to be explicit. You've got to be clear to guard them, to protect them from wolves like this. And even, even if a false teacher were to arise in your church, after warning them repeatedly, if they continue in their false teaching and start to spread it to the church, even then you need to be willing to name them. Even if everybody knows who they are, even if it would embarrass somebody, there's too much at stake. You need to be willing to call it out. You see this through the Scriptures. Jesus warned the church at Pergamum for embracing the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Paul warned Timothy about Hymenus and Philetus who swerved from the truth and their talk was spreading like gangrene. John warned Gaius about Diotrephes in 3 John who had rejected apostolic authority. And on and on it goes. The Scripture is filled with examples of this. Now, we, we must be careful. We, we don't want to just create unnecessary wars. It's no small thing to call someone out. That should not be done flippantly or even regularly. The issue must justify it. But when the flock is in danger, we're shepherds. We've got to go after the wolves. Shepherds fight wolves. That's what shepherds do. Lastly, number six, sixth way we or to guard the flock, is we keep the main thing the main thing. You must preach Christ crucified. The gospel must stay at the center. Christ must stay at the center of everything that we say or do. Look, look at it back at our passage. Look at how Paul leaves these guys in verse 32. He says, And now I commend you to God, and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. By this phrase, the word of His grace, I commend you to the word of His grace, Paul is referencing the gospel, the truth about the person and the work of Jesus Christ. That is what we are to be about. We are to be those who preach Christ crucified at all times. Christ must take center stage. This is His church. These are His people. You are to give your people a love for Christ in every sermon. And they, if you do that, they will be much more equipped to stand against anything that would distort or come after the beauty of their Savior. Give your people Christ, and you will be giving your people everything. Preach the full counsel of God. Know your people. Share the load. Practice church discipline. Identify and name false teachings and false teachers and preach Christ crucified. You do those things and you will indeed be guarding the flock. Men, we have, we have a high 
holy calling. A privilege that I think truly goes beyond our finite mind's ability to even comprehend. We are stewards of the church of the living God. Do not take lightly that for which Christ has died. This role is not so that we can prop up ourselves into positions of power and admiration. If you are doing this for the the honor and the admiration that you may acquire, then you are doing it for your own glory rather than God's. Be in it for Christ. Seek His glory. Preach His gospel. Teach His word. Model His character. Guard His people. Fight His enemies. And live for His exaltation. You do that, and on the last day when the chief shepherd appears, you will indeed hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master, and you will be given the unfading crown of glory. May God give us all the grace we need to carry that out and to guard the flock. Let's pray. Well, Father, we recognize that the task is too much. Who is adequate for these things, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians? Certainly we are not in the strength of our own flesh. But you equip those whom you call. You give grace to carry out the orders that you have issued. We trust in the power of the Holy Spirit to do His faithful work among the flock of God. God, we ask that You would bestow more and more grace upon us as shepherds, that we may be faithful to the task, that we may lead our people, that we may feed our people, and that we may guard our people so that one day when the chief shepherd appears, we may be found faithful. Oh God, please give us the grace to see that through. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.